Welcome to the Arts Report for Wednesday, December 12th. We have reviews galore. Graham Clark of Stop Podcasting Yourself and the Laugh Gallery. Got a little something from Paul Armstrong at the Celluloid Social Club. And if we have time, we're hoping to talk to Red76 about the closing events at Helen... No, the Unit Pit, excuse me, formerly the Helen Pit Gallery. Hello and welcome to the Arts Report for December 12th. You are listening to us either on CITR 101.9 or perhaps online at citr.ca. And uh, sorry for the late start, folks. We were doing a little rearranging in this beautiful space pod of a studio. So we'll go a little late today. And then hopefully you will stick around for uh, UBC Arts On Air. Uh, And today it's going to be Shelley Rosenblum, uh, Curator of Academic Programs at the Belkin Art Gallery. At the Art Gallery. Uh, And that'll be uh, on at 6. Just after 6. But for now... It's the Arts Report. And uh, we are going to do some reviews. We're going to give away some tickets. And then we will get right into our interviews this evening. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Pacific Cinema Tech, as you know I love to do. um, Because I got to see Kiki's Delivery Service. Uh, That's part of their Castles in the Sky. The Miyazaki Takahara and the Masters of Studio Ghibli which is running through uh, January 3rd. And Kiki's Delivery Service um, was actually quite gorgeous on film. You get all those little blips and bloops that I'm sure drive Al the projectionist absolutely crazy, but it gave it that beautiful kind of handmade feel. And I found, as usual, the subtitles very distracting. Uh, With live action i'm fine with subtitles but when it comes to animation i'm like just subtitle it already but of course the japanese is quite beautiful and gives it that little extra oomph you can tell what's actually supposed to be funny in the original because the uh but the translation never is never perfect obviously so that is going to be running through january 3rd and thank you for having the arts report at kiki's delivery service um it was a really lovely tale of a young woman learning to find the magic within herself Always a kind of a complex message from the Miyazaki clan. And uh, we also have a special guest today, and he is going to be telling us a little bit about the amazing and well-loved Pirates of Penzance. And I'm sure you remember this one. And this last show, uh, this actually is over now, Vancouver Opera, but uh, James Connell of UBC Biology, and he is the public relations 
um, publicity coordinator. Pardon me, publicity coordinator of Pride UBC, and he is here to tell us a little bit about Pirates of Penzance, which is something that you were very, very excited to see, correct? I was. I was so stoked to see this play. My sister did this when she was really young, and she forced me to learn all the lyrics and all the songs, and so this is a well-loved classic of mine. Um, well, I guess the plot, first of all. Yeah, tell us a little something for those three or four of us who haven't <laughs> heard of this before. One of the most famous Gilbert and Sullivan It's It's a shows. comic opera. It's absurd. It makes fun of opera itself, um, and it has a pretty convoluted plot. Um, we meet Frederick. He is 21 years old, and he has been a pirate apprentice all his life, which was an accident to begin with. Uh, his father on his deathbed had asked him to become a pilot, but his nurse was a little <laughs> hard of hearing, so he became a pirate. Um, so he's a respectable gentleman, and he is leaving the pirate profession since he is 21 years and his contract is over. Um, and since he is such an outstanding citizen, he has said that for the rest of his life, he's going to try and kill his old friends, the pirates. So that is when we meet Frederick. He is now an ex-pirate. He sees a maiden, he falls in love with dear Mabel, meets her father, then the pirates come, they're all trying to kill each other, or arrest each other, they get the police involved, and there's a big kerfuffle, big, 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 lots of noise, lots of music, and then, um, in the end, they all halt for Queen Victoria's name. Um, it, the opera in itself, the absurdity, comes a lot from the themes and uh, not so much from the characters. The characters are pretty cut and dry, but um, W.S. Gilbert makes fun of the absurdity in, in law and matrimony and the military and the police and um, rules and regulations themselves as opposed, and how normal people would react. Um, Frederick, his contract was over when he was 21, but he gets pulled back into it because of a loophole. He was born on February 29th, and the contract says that he has to remain a pirate until his 21st birthday. So so they've, they've got him on a technicality. They get him on a technicality. He has this ridiculous sense of duty. Where Instead of just saying, screw you, I'm going to go live my life with this woman I've just met and loved. He has to give her up to go become a pirate again. Something he despises. But it's hilarious, and um, hilarity ensues. And Vancouver Opera did a fantastic job. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the, the this staging. Well, um, first of all, a curtain comes up, and um, Queen Victoria walks through the audience, waving at everyone, which just got the hugest laugh and set everything off to a really good start. Um, the sets were amazing, really surreal, dreamlike, very, very well done. The costumes, I mean, like Victorian era maidens and pirates, it's a bit too easy. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, with parasols and... Um, treasure chests. The conductor himself had a parrot on his shoulder at one point. So they really went for it. Yeah, and there was a lot of play with the audience. They, um, they, yeah, the the orchestra kept making pirate noises. Um, they, uh, they had some kind of, they had some topical Canadian themes in it. Like, they added an extra verse to Modern Major General that dealt with, um, you know, like, liberal leaders. Oh my god. Like Ignatieff and Paul Martin and such. Some bad political nerds in the writing, rewriting team there. Yeah, and it was a little dry. It was kind of like your father making a bad joke. <laughs> you know, you get that kind of cringe factor. 
But um, all in all, it, it was really, really, really well done. Um, yeah, there is some UBC alumni in it. Oh, okay. In the chorus, there is um, DJ Calhoun, and uh, he was one of the police. And um, Megan Brown, she was one of the fair maidens. One of, seven, one of Mabel's 17 sisters who are all the same age. Which The poor mother. Right? You never meet her. God knows where she is. Well, I wouldn't want to meet her after that. She's, <laughs> she must be terrifying either way. Yeah. She can produce 17. <laughs> I don't even know what the Latin word for that would be. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no. I don't, <laughs> think, any, I don't think there's been one invented. There's no need to. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. The opera is so much fun, though. Everyone there is 80 years old. Like everyone, I love I love going to the I love going to the opera. But um, opera in the arts club. I mean, Queen Elizabeth Theater itself is just so grand, and it's just kind of awe inspiring when you sit down there. And there's a reason that everyone there is so old is because they've all spent their whole lives going to shows, and they've seen a lot of crap shows, and they know they're not going to see one at Vancouver Opera. Okay, well, <laughs> definitive statement. So, uh, the Pirates of Penzance, Gilbert and Sullivan at the Vancouver Opera, and shout out to the UBC Opera Program uh, at UBC, obviously. And uh, James, thank you very much for your first review with the Art Support, and I'm sure there will be many more to come in the new year. Thank you. And uh, James is going to stick around and hang out with us. But next up, we have uh, a review from arts contributor and host of Stranded, the Australian-Canadian music show, Matthew Granlund. Uh, now, last week, we heard uh, Sarah Lapsley talk to Wayne uh, Schacht about, uh, Specht, sorry, about the Masks, Mischiefs, and Moliere event that happened last night. And we spoke a little bit about Don Juan at the Kulch. Now, uh, Sarah was not able to attend the event, but... Matthew, for reasons that he will discuss, was very excited to go. And it was a free event, so I said the more the merrier. So he sat down earlier today to tell us a little bit about uh, what he enjoyed about the event and what he's looking forward to for Dawn One. Yes, uh, I went along to a chat. There were two gentlemen who were part of the play production who were talking about what's coming up. So it was John Wright, the Artistic Director of Blackbird Theatre, and Wayne Specht, who is the Artistic Director of Access Theatre. And they had a bunch of masks there set up along a table because these are masks, period piece masks, from the, the Commedia Delante style of Italian theatre. Masks that you, you'd recognise if you saw them. You know, these kind of like brightly coloured masks with like long, thin noses, it kind of covers half the face. And so the gentlemen were both very expertly describing why they chose to use these period masks in a contemporary production of Don Juan. And it was interesting because they were talking about they're really mixing up different time periods in the play to make it interesting. So you have these really old period piece masks with a Don Juan character who's styled in like kind of a, a modern 20th century swashbuckling kind of uh, Errol Flynn type style as a protagonist. And so... They, they very carefully structured it with different different periods, including the soundtrack, which is the 60s. They put some 60s guitar rock into the soundtrack as well. So it's, it's and, and they were telling the audience, like, we think this is going to work. We hope this is going to work. Email me if you think it doesn't work. If you come <laughs> see it. They were really, I mean, I'm sure they know what they're doing. But he was saying, you know, that, that 
it just goes to show that theatre people have such license to really uh, reinterpret classic plays, and it's good to see them pushing the envelope. Yeah, it sounds like they're. It sounds like they're trying to kind of make make it timeless. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they're not trying to live up to some perfect way that it's meant to be. So, uh, just to backtrack for a second, now you said you were interested in seeing this because you have Italian in your background, and you wanted to learn a little bit more about kind of the the culture of yeah. the theater. And did did you learn a lot? Did you uh, did you get in touch with your Italian a, side? A, a little bit, yeah. All I know is like my family just traces back to an orphan. So there's nothing back past like the late 1800s. So I don't know who my Italian people were, and maybe one of them was a commedia dell'arte actor. You never know, because it's really interesting. I learned about how there were, yeah, there were troops of actors who'd travel around, and they wore these masks for a few different reasons, not just f- as a theatrical piece that that looks good, but also because often these troops were kind of politically antagonistic. So when you're wearing a mask, you can take more risks you can skip out of town because that's literally what they would do. They would show up, see what's happening in the in the community, create a play on the spot, basically, ad libit, using these stock characters of the masks. See, that that's a really interesting way of using the masks because they were, it's like, you know, the villain or the beggar or the, the queen or whatever, they're stock characters. So that enables you to quickly create a play because you, you have those, those limits of the stock characters. And yeah, because they were often... That would be speaking out against the local, I don't know, the local landlords or the church or whatever, and they could get away with it because no one knew who they were. And then a week later, they're out of town. So I found that interesting. As soon as I saw these masks sitting on this table, one of them looked to me like uh, the hobgoblin in the Spider-Man comics, the, the 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 villain. And it's like, of course, yeah, like these. If you think about it, these these are classic images. That's the, the ghoulish kind of goblin. It's a classic image that's been around forever. And, and Stan Lee is the creator of comic of a comic book, what, 50-odd years ago. Probably there was something... He didn't just completely make that image up from scratch. You know, there was some influence. Uh, and so it's interesting to see how these historical images stay with us forever, these iconic images. You know, you, you've got the... You know, like like the landlord, this uh, with the cape and the skinny and the little mustache and uh, you know, it's like there's there's archetypes all over the place. One other thing, interesting thing about last night, they invited people up from the audience to put on the masks, and then do a little skit, do something. When you're wearing a mask, it's more you're less self-conscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a really interesting lady I saw just as I was leaving get up and she's just doing all sorts of crazy things and walking into the audience and. I think she was the beggar. She was the beggar character. So she, yeah, she kind of walked up to people, you know, like right up close to them and like kind of was begging and interacting very closely, not just like on a stage. So yeah, I thought it was it was really interesting. Me programming a music show, I don't, it's it's quite new to me to be doing pieces that relate to visuals, aesthetics or, or theatrics. So it was really great for me to go along and, and I do want to go see the play. I genuinely am interested because of this mix of time periods thank you very much Matthew and uh, Don Juan will be playing at the Colch uh, Heretic Swordsman Seducer Don Juan so uh, the this company did uh, 2011 uh, smash hit Waiting for Good Dough. Uh, Blackbird Theatre will be doing uh, this uh, adaptation of Moliere's comedy. So uh, you can check that out 
starting December 26th through January 26th um, with previews on the 26th and the 27th and opening night on the 28th. And uh, fingers crossed we'll have some reviews for you in the new year. That's right. This is our second last show of this year um, because it's Christmas time, everyone. Um, it is Christmas time. It is Hanukkah. It is the holidays. It is time for gifts, food, whatever you celebrate in winter. It's happening soon. Uh, and one of the uh, events that's coming up is the Shirley Gnome Awkward Christmas Party. Now, uh, Shirley Gnome was on uh, December 5th, our December 5th show, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, to come in and talk about, no, not December 5th. Oh, it was earlier in the year. Um, uh, to talk about her winning the Patrick Malia Comedy Challenge $20,000. And some of the things she's been doing is she's been performing and she has been producing her newest CD, Country Music. And there's a, a well-placed asterisk in there as well. You can imagine where. She uh, is a sassy lady who does some dirty stuff. But you know what? She has provided us with a appropriate for radio version of her Christmas song. And it is about all the things she doesn't want to do. But the thing that she does want to do is you. So if you like something that's a little cheeky and is censored for radio, then please stay tuned. Now... Her show is December 16th, that's a Sunday, for 8 o'clock, and it will be um, uh, a launch of her, uh, not a launch, but she'll be performing from her new event, and it'll be at the Astoria Pub, which is on East Hastings Street, and uh, the cost is 10 bucks at the door, $8 in advance at Brown Paper Tickets, and if you like what you hear uh, in the next uh, half hour, you are welcome to give us a shout and win a pair of tickets. Uh, so give us a call at 604-822-2487, or you can shoot me an email, arts at citr.ca. And make sure that you've, uh, if you want to contact us on Facebook, make sure that you have liked the arts report. That's the only way I'm going to do that. All right, so here is Shirley Gnome, the Christmas song, censored version, and please use this time effectively to win some tickets. Holidays are here, the bells begin to chime It makes me feel uncomfortable every time They make you spread the joy, yeah Get into the spirit by buying it and eating it Until you take a massive it Well, I don't want it, I say no thanks Let's keep our little savings in the big, big banks I wanna hide out with you till the holidays through I hate Christmas I just want to bang you Cause presents, decorations, all the food and more Leaves me feeling like a dirty old consumer whore So no more tree, no more deck the halls Instead I'll be the place where you can hang your balls No family gatherings that I detest No creepy Uncle Walter staring at So screw those guys, I want to love you 
was the radio friendly edit james what james how did how did you feel about that i i think i'm gonna buy some tickets to that show <laughs> um well uh if someone how about this i'll send uh, i'll send you if someone doesn't win these tickets 604-822-2487 or email me at arts at citr dot ca you can go and check out shirley who calls that radio friendly so you can imagine, you can just imagine. That's how the Arts Report does the holidays. Uh, not a lot of reverence, not a lot of reverence for the holidays here at uh, CITR, but we do like having fun. So Sunday, December 16th, check that out at Astoria. You can go online. Check her out uh, on Facebook. Shirley Gnome's Awkward Christmas Party. The other thing I just want to mention quickly is that League League, which is an amazing uh, part of the Field House project, uh, arts project which we'll be uh, looking at in the new year uh, is a project that brings together unconventional sports with unconventional people and you get to go get together make up a game and have a lot of fun and learn about uh, community building and uh, you know other things that are often involved in art that are kind of peripheral they bring it right down into the middle so one of the cool things they're doing is you can bring your toys uh, and uh, Broken Gadgets, and they're going to be doing, they're doing toy hacking Tuesday evenings in December. So the last one is next Tuesday, 5 p.m. Check out leagueleague.com. Uh, bring toys and gadgets that you can crack and rewire electronic tools and components if you have them and any other materials. Disclaimer, they have limited knowledge and equipment and specialize only in voiding warranties and uh maybe make a little something and uh we can discuss it uh in january 17th radio art i'm hoping to do a little hacking and then show it off in the new year all right we are going to take a really quick break and when we return we are going to be speaking to sam gold of red 76 about the last few days of the project at the unit pit gallery affront this is an affront stay tuned Oh. 
at Dunkin' Donuts each and every radio show is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead, let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. On Friday, December 14th, the Holiday Hustle begins with the second annual benefit for the W2 Community Media Arts Society. Over three floors of performances, including the Librarian vs. Self-Evident, Mandai, Vendettas, Bastet, Cherche La Femme, and many more. Check Holiday Hustle 2 on eventbrite.ca for special deals, or grab tickets at W2, Beat Street, Zulu, High Life, and Redcat. And we are back, CITR 101.9, and we are going to be talking uh, live to Sam Gould of Red 76. And uh, Sam, are you there? I am here. Oh, I'm so Hi. I'm very excited that we could uh, get you on the line. I apologize for being a bit last minute, but this popped up in my inbox, and I love... As my listeners know, the unit pit. So I wanted to make sure that we let people know about the last uh, few days of their season. But I thought before we talked about this is an affront, uh, a covert education that's happening until December 5th at unit pit. Uh, Sam, I was wondering if you could tell me now you are uh, the main artist under the name Red76, which is a collaborative project. Um, can you tell me yeah, a little bit about uh, Red76? Sure, yeah. I, I guess I'm kind of like, maybe not the main artist, like the main instigator. Ah, okay. Um, <laughs> like the kind of energizing core. So uh, there, there are a lot of people who are involved, but it, it usually you know, takes some pushing and prodding from me for... Uh, things to start up or get moving, and um, we started in Portland, Oregon um, about 13 years ago, coming up on 13 years ago, which seems remarkable to me, um, and uh, really our early beginnings are there, but now we're scattered all over the world. Um, uh, I live in Minneapolis right now. I'm actually on a street um, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. At the moment, I teach in Boston and kind of fly all over the place. And uh, one of the core members is in Vancouver. Um, there are people in San Francisco and Sweden and, and Brooklyn. So uh, we're all over the place. Now, but, um, uh-huh. yeah, I just wanted to say that you, you know, you guys um, do uh, you you interact with and kind of investigate. Uh, it seems, uh, public spaces and how people interact with public spaces. Can you give me a little bit about kind of the core of your interest before we move on to the specific project? Yeah, sure. I think maybe it could be more accurate rather than public space per se. I'm uh, more interested in the idea of publics. Okay, interesting. And, um, and, and those publics can exist anywhere. Um, and I think what they do is they create a, a type of public space. But I see that as, um, like, there's an important distinction between maybe the uh, normative idea of what public space 
means, like a park or something, um, and what a public can do, um, which is very different than, say, the public. Mm -hmm. You know, publics are these kind of discrete groups that that form over um, a particular, not necessarily even shared interest. Sometimes it's like um, over an argument. Okay. Um, yeah. Over over a divide, it's a space that grows um, through through conversation, through discourse of um, of people uh, around it. So yeah, that's something I'm particularly interested in, and I think it's it's something that's been of interest in one form or another since the group started. So this is a front. Uh, what is a series of projects, and the first was. Um, an American-style pizzeria established in Kosovo? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty weird. It sounds um, pretty weird, yeah. Um, and, and so can you just give me just give me a little bit of an outline of what that was and then how that led into the second edition um, at the Unit Pit? Sure. Well, we were commissioned by the U.S. State Department to do a project, and we had to decide whether we wanted to have that relationship or not. Mm-hmm. Um uh, we found the, the proposition and the problematics really interesting, but, you know, it also fed into some things that we didn't find too interesting. Um, we were wondering how complicit we, you know, what is that complicity uh, within uh, a situation that we are also critical of. Um, so if we're going to do the project, we are interested in specifically discussing our, our you know, our ourselves as members of Red 76, but also, you know, individuals in general, relationships from day to day with power, whether that's the power we hold within ourselves, over ourselves, our relationships with other individuals, be they family members or lovers, um, to this kind of amorphous, harder to find state power and back again. Um, so we decided that we were going to do this project and we were sent to Pristina, Kosovo. So what we, we did was we um, we built a brick oven, and that was kind of this mask for this American-style pizzeria that we um, we constructed, where wherein at night we would open up this restaurant, but um, during the day we had all this bookmaking equipment, and we bootlegged books on this issue over the Internet, um, and people could come in and bring us, electronic files that we turn into paperback books as well um, on, you know, these kind of quotidian relationships to power. Uh, and we developed a lending library. And then at night, people would, could come and eat pizza um, as this, like, entrance point to this discussion. We'd have programming around these ideas. James, so that's uh, sorry. how it started. James, uh, our, one of our correspondents is here, and he had a, he had a question. Um, speaking of power, how how does the State Department get a hold of you? They, do they send you they an know email, or do they just show up at your house in the middle of the night? Well, uh, you know, it's amazing who can get a hold of you. Uh, <laughs> we've had a lot of, uh, you know, I, there are a lot of interesting stories I could tell you about different things that have happened to us over the years. But um, this was actually, we got in touch with them. We wanted to, We never thought that anything would happen. Um, but there was this, like, weird kind of open call for arts like arts ambassadors and on on almost as a joke we were like okay well let's let's propose a project um and they accepted it <laughs> which we don't 
just like, oh crap. Now so we now you have to decide if you actually want to work with them. We're going to do it, you know, because we never like we we just figured they'd look at our FBI records, which are already uh, fairly lengthy. Um, yeah, you're not oh, doing anything interesting if you don't have an FBI record. No, definitely not. Um, okay, so so I'm hearing concepts of kind of uh, self-publication and distri- free distribution and also con- kind of converting this, this space for a new public. Um, yeah. And now we have at Unit Pit, you've converted Unit Pit into a used MP3 store that also has its own internet radio station, which I've been trying to pull up, and I've not been successful. Um, but Oh, that's unfortunate. I know. Well, we'll you know what? As soon as I can fa- – we'll, we'll share it on Facebook for people to listen to at home. And uh, But so, so tell me about um, the front revealing itself as a series of skins, each with its own considerations and means of interaction. Well, yeah, we wanted this this kind of like process of of entrance. So we the, the first thing was we like made like a little corner shop that seemed similar to other corner shops around Chinatown as this entrance point, this like literal entrance point into Unit Pit. Um, but then there's the MP3 store. You can engage with it in that way. But then if you move a little bit further. There's the radio station that you can listen to. And if you move a little bit further, like, why don't you become a DJ? Or why don't, you know, like, go and go and make some programming of your own. And the programming is um, idiosyncratic of who becomes a DJ. Uh, but it, it's all related to the, these these kind of discussions of power relations that we, we started in Kosovo and have continued through this project. Now... It was supposed to end on November thirteenth, and just before mm-hmm. we uh, wrap up for the for the end of this segment, uh, tell us what why you think that the the project um, a you know was popular enough that people were interested, but I think probably more related to why it kept going was that there was still uh-huh. you know it was still working, it was still developing as a project. Yeah, you know, a lot of our projects, the whole point is not that we want to dictate an idea. We want to dictate a, a notion or a question. We want to we want to create a space for questioning, and that takes time. Um, so the whole the whole point is that um, you know there's it's an accumulated effect. Uh, the longer we can have, the better. And there was space, so why not? Um, the curator T. Higgins and I both kind of agreed. Since there's the ability to continue, might as well keep it open. And um, and see what happens. So we weren't interested in necessarily programming this space where there are all these conversations going on all the time. We wanted to open a space and see what could accumulate. Um, And that was the point. So if there's more time to see, you know, for more to develop, you, you might as well grab that. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, Sam, and hopefully we can uh, reconnect in the new year about your upcoming projects. I have posted the link to the radio, uh, which is actually what kind of drew me in was, uh, you know, I'm really into radio lately. Um, So power2012.ca or power2012.helenpitgallery.org. And or you can just uh, click right through to both Red Seventy Six and Unit Pit and the radio station through our Facebook. If you haven't liked it. 151 people have liked it. Why not you at home? Thanks exactly. again, Sam. And I would encourage uh, anyone to stop by on Saturday, which will be the final day. There will be kind of a big uh, gathering of people having conversations, doing programs, and if anybody wants to like have a slot of their own, I would encourage them to get in touch with um, Unipit, and maybe there's 
in free space. Excellent. And I'll definitely be coming down myself before the 15th where uh, Helen Pitt clo- uh, stops its programming and gets ready for the new year. Thanks great. again, Sam. Thanks Have a great holidays. And we are going to take a break. And when we return, we will be hearing from Paul Armstrong of the Celluloid Social Club. And we will wrap up the show with a, a bit of an extended conversation with Graham Clark of Stop Podcasting Yourself and the Returning Laugh Gallery. Just stop it in your face. Don't stop it in your face. Though it might look good to eat. Though it might look good to eat. And it might look good to taste. And it might look good to taste. You could get sick. Yuck. Real quick. Yuck. Real sick. Real. CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver. Don't put it in your mouth. Put it in your ear. Don't you put it in your mouth, uh-uh. Tell you ask someone you love, that's right, sis. If it's okay to eat, if it's okay to eat, like a She's a bad. I'm sick and tired of hearing your band playing on and on and on. Gosh, so loud. Man. I wish we had a safe place to play music. Yeah, and shows too. The Safe Amplification Site Society is a non-profit group dedicated to establishing a legal, affordable, all-ages venue for music and arts in Vancouver. For more information or to get involved, check out www.safeamp.org. Thank you again to Sam from Red76 and his project is still up at the unit pit and will continue until December 15th. So hopefully you can check that out. Um, Another thing that is happening uh, this week is this week tonight is the Celluloid Social Club's 15th anniversary. Uh, For 15 years, they have been a social club around film, around local filmmakers and industry workers and lovers um, in order to share work and ideas around film. And I recently uh, spoke to founder and producer Paul Paul Armstrong, um, who uh, has been, who's the founder 15 years ago and uh, will be um there tonight obviously Uh, he was originally at vancouver film school and screened short films there and was approached to add a social component uh later on by some of his colleagues and 15 years later here we are so i have a few minutes here with paul uh talking a little bit about how he got interested in theater uh in film and theater and the performing arts and what he takes from it and uh you know a, a little bit of a best of Enjoy. I started out uh, screening in 97. Uh, Vancouver was just starting to take off as a uh, production center. And uh, when the person came to my office, um, Brett Isfeld, when I was working at the school to uh, have an idea to show films, um, he said he wanted to show uh, indie films. And I thought he meant East Indian films. I didn't even know the word indie <laughs> films back then. 
it was uh, around the time that that was all taken off with Tarantino and Pulp Fiction and and all that. And so it was it was all brand new. The whole indie scene was fresh. And so I was just sort of tapping into all that. And have there been any major changes or shifts over over time? We try to keep the tone the same, going all the way back to '97. So sort of a irreverent, off the cuff tone. So we've sort of kept that. One thing that's changed, of course, is the technology. Uh, in the early days, when we were screening films, even on 16 millimeter, we still call it the celluloid social club. So we we're actually screening on films originally for part of it, and VHS. And now, of course, we can show stuff that's online. So it's been a big leap in how we show the films, and of course, how they're made as well. Can you give me a few examples of some of the most memorable events uh, that you guys have have hosted? One time, Robin Williams came by. Yeah, he, uh, he even brought a film to screen. So he um, wasn't planned. He wasn't a planned guest. He showed up. Yeah, he uh, he came with a friend of mine. I didn't know he was going to come, and uh, <laughs> she said he might show up. And I thought there's no way. And then there he was. I'm sorry to believe it was him, but uh, we showed the film he brought. And which film was it? Uh, it was a friend of um, of my friend doing a uh, a fridge show in Dublin that he'd sent to uh, to uh, uh, Robin. So he wanted to share that with the audience. That's so it wasn't even a film; it was a, a film of a play. That's funny. You you kind of expect yeah. him to show up with something of his own, but yeah. I guess he has a powerhouse yeah. behind him already. Yeah. And then another memorable one is I had uh, Andrew Lou Goldham, who um, discovered the Rolling Stones and was their first manager and producer for the first five years. Um, come to the say wide and screen an early Stones film from 1965 so it was another memorable one uh, actually had a, a fake Stones band perform right beforehand it was a surprise and was quite impressed with them and uh, another memorable night is um, I had, uh, had Bruce McDonald one of Canada's top indie filmmakers at the mm-hmm. cellular actually twice screening some of his short films from film school and a feature he did What is the kind of community philosophy that you're working with when you are Putting when you are still putting together this this show after all these years. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with I'm trying to bring people together. That's that's, that's as much about the uh, watching the film films themselves as it is about the people being in the room together, and then all the creative collaborations that result from that. So uh, people do a Q and A after each film, so then the audience gets to know those filmmakers, and then often they uh, they talk after the show, and then sometimes uh, hook up for. Um, for other projects, and uh, so I know people tell me lots of films that they've made have resulted from them meeting people at the club, networking, talking to them. So uh, I sort of feel like a like a, a father of one of the <laughs> films maybe that got made as a result of bringing people together. Uh, lots of people who work in film, even if it's behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, they have that either that experience or that film that kind of sparked that love that took them into the industry or that made them decide that that was the world for them. Do you have something like that or was it a slow build? In terms of getting into the industry in Vancouver, it was more slow build because I was actually more involved in theater in my early days. And so uh, it was just sort of a natural migration to do film as well as theater. I've always been interested in uh, a meta take on life. So Mm -hmm. I've always been more interested in using the arts as a way of exploring uh, what life's all about, sort of as a as a reflective mirror. Have you made any discoveries with your practice over the years about uh, what life's all about? Well, basically you have to be a self-starter. You can't rely on others to 
to do anything for you. You have to be self-motivated, and it takes a lot of discipline. But if you want to feel uh, satisfied, then I think that's the best route to, to go. Mm-hmm. And that's why I've stuck mostly to the uh, indie world in film. Mm-hmm. So there's more control over the, uh, the creative. And I'm excited to attend the Celluloid Social Club 15-year anniversary screening party, December 12th. That's tonight, 7.30, at the Anza Club. And it will be hosted by Ken Hegan. And there is going to be some old and some new. So we are going to have Ben Cotton from the recent Battlestar Galactica series, which I know everyone listening knows about. Oh, yeah. I know. It's exciting. <laughs> and then we're going to have uh, Jen Soska and Sylvia Soska, who are did Ginger Snaps, which was like, is one of my favorite guilty pleasures, actually. Ginger Snaps. Not this, not the sequels, but Ginger Snaps, the original. Check that one out. Um, blossoming Female Sexuality. Isn't anything scarier? No. Um, they will be handing out an award for the 2012 Bloodshots contest. They will also screen the trailer for American Mary, which is coming out soon. Plus a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Ken Hegan, um, William Shatner lent me his hairpiece. An untrue story was the first screening at the first Celluloid Social Club on November 13th, 1997. And then at midnight, there will be a controversial screening of The Operation, filmed in infrared, winner of the best experimental film of the 1995 New York Underground Film festival lots of good stuff um so thank you very much to paul uh, for joining us today and uh, yeah check that out if you're interested in joining the social club uh so you can find them on facebook as a group and i would also suggest you check out firstweekendclub.ca that's when organize a bunch of people to go to the first weekend of local and canadian films in the box office so that we can rep our filmmakers who are actually making it it's not all about the film festivals those those are close to my heart. All right, so we have one more interview. We're going to go a little long because we started late due to Space Pod construction. And so we are going to hear from the amazing Graham Clark. It was really hard to edit this down, so it's a little long because I do like listening to people being funny. Comedy is one of my favorite things. And uh, on Monday, we got a chance to see Graham Clark back at the Laugh Gallery, which has been a regular thing again for the past year. It, uh, it went away and then it came back. So eastvancomedy.com uh, at, East at the Havana. And uh, Graham Clark was hosting Sean Emini, Kevin Lee, and Emmett Hall of the Sunday Service, Katie, Hel- Katie Ellen Humphreys, and Phil Hanley. Uh, Sean Emini did some great one-liners, Kevin Lee did an improvised monologue of a woman discovering cell phones, flip phones, for the first time. Very amazing. Emmett Hall gave us a little Christmas Carol-style comedic poem. Uh, Katie Ellen Humphreys, uh, well, she told us about how awkward she is socially when, of course, she is such a babe, which is something that I very much relate to. And then Phil Henley uh, told us stories about his ex-girlfriend and heckled the audience, which is always my favorite thing. So after the show, we talked about Laugh Gallery, as well as uh, some of the local things that are happening in comedy and what's been happening to Graham Clark lately. He's, of course, one of the hosts of Stop Podcasting Yourself. He was uh, recently a model in Sad Meg's Glamour issue, the comedy spread. And of course, we address the upcoming apocalypse 
for which Graham has prepared with mainly entertainment endorsed by 1980s preteen girls. Uh, Graham Clark, we've just finished Laugh Gallery at mm -hmm. the Havana, December the 10th. Mm -hmm. Fact. How have you prepared for the upcoming apocalypse? Oh, the, uh, on the 21st. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I got a lot of canned goods, so my approach is not uh, Walking Dead survival style. Mine is uh, the hiding mm -hmm. and eating little bits and pieces of food and surviving. Okay. So I've got a lot of that. Okay. And, I've, and like I'm, I've got blankets mm -hmm. and uh, a flashlight. And that's it. That's all. I also got a lot of like paper to draw on, you know? Yeah. Well, Keep myself amused. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be exciting for like the hour or two. And then, but that's, I don't think in movies and TV shows they ever explain like the expanses of 72 hours of just sitting around with the other survivor, right? And like, so maybe you get lucky you're with a survivor that you're like, have a good chemistry with or are attracted to or whatever but you might not you might just end up with somebody that you're like eh, we don't have a lot to talk about you know and you maybe you didn't have a lot of books around or whatever so it's good to have like paper to at least draw and maybe like uh, tic-tac-toe or like uh, what's the game like mansion apartment shack house do you remember that mash from like like third, third, like third to fifth grade. Third to fifth grade. Because yeah. I mean I don't know any other games that you play on paper. I mean you could write notes to each other and just pass them across the room. To well, each you other. gave away in the, during the laugh gallery. You gave away a cabbage patch game and a puzzle, which That's seemed right. to be would have been useful. That's true. I don't like even when I'm at my most bored. I never think about <laughs> busting out a puzzle and putting it together. Do you know what I mean? Like if I'm that bored, I'll just will myself to go have a nap. Mm -hmm. Or I'll just walk, you know. I'll just go walking. Yeah. But like I don't if think if you want to be, if you want to do a puzzle, it's probably time to leave the house. <laughs> it's not only time to leave the house; it's time to leave my grandmother's house because <laughs> we've already put together several puzzles. <laughs> okay, so Laugh Gallery now, fill me in. There, it kind of it, it waned for a while. Oh sure. Right. Yep. And now we're waxing again. We're waxing again, Month, yeah. uh, on, a, on a monthly basis. On a monthly basis. What brought you back? Because I know people really fought to keep it, uh, the Laugh Gallery alive as a concept. Yeah. And, and what brought you back to the, the monthly hosting? Uh, Alistair Cook, who runs the East Van Comedy, asked if I wanted to do a, a monthly show. The person who really kept it going in between the weekly and the monthly show is a lady named Jane Stanton. And she put on these kind of like a couple times a year show and she produced them. And uh, that's what kept it going in the in-between time. And then Alistair asked me at the end of last year, said, would you like to do it monthly in a theater? Like in a nice controlled environment. And I, yeah, I was super excited. And I mean, every month. Tonight, it's just a black box theater, but every month almost, except for two, it's had a set. So we've been doing it on some old-timey, you know, country house set, or it's been, uh, you know, Hamlet or whatever. So how come you scrimped on, on us tonight? 
what made no, you guys deserve it. No, you guys got the benefit of not having, having to, to see the set. Yeah. Not to listen to five people make jokes about exactly. that. Exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. You got to see now. just like comedy just happening on a stage mm-hmm. without people being like, oh, I have to walk through a door or there's some weird lamps or whatever around. <laughs> so yeah, you got the you got the most unfiltered version. Do you have a rubric, Ooh. very scientific, sure. by which you choose the comics that come tonight? Name one like quality uh, okay. that we can just like spread like a rumor, like bringing you money. Uh, no, 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 you know what? The we quality. Start that. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll start that rumor. Well, first, I mean, obviously, that I think you're funny. Yeah. But aside from that, that it's like you're going to try some new stuff, mm-hmm. which everybody tonight did. Tried some stuff that they wouldn't necessarily do in a club. Because this audience is very giving, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a nice. It's like a comfortable space to do that in, I think. I was going to say, I noticed that like people seem to be trying stuff out. And it, yeah. It seems a credit to the space. Yeah, and I think it's uh, a lot of... you. Once you're in the comedy clubs and stuff, you can't... You don't have that leeway at all, so it's nice to be able to have a place. You know, even if it's once or twice a month, just to go up and do the joke that you're like, I'm really not sure how this is going to go, and and see, yeah, see if it connects. So the Laugh Gallery might be a place for someone who sure. is 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 interested in influencing the comics uh, of our generation. Absolutely, I, yeah. I want people who are you're you're paying five dollars to see the the premium, like the best comics in town, trying out like you're going to be there at the Genesis or some mm-hmm. some new really funny stuff, and also they're always going to throw in some solid stuff. Because that's what comics do. They want it to be a good show. So it'll always have the the time-tested favorites will also be in the mix. So, yeah. So you're right. You're part of the process. August 2012. Go on. Okay. You and Dave Shunka have a, a podcast. Mm-hmm. Stop podcasting yourself. Yes. You win best podcast. That's right. In Canada. How has the wave of... Fame, nay, infamy, mm-hmm. that's fallen down upon the two of you since that time. How has that affected your practice, your artistic practice? Uh, I mean, you know what? It's hard to, it's hard sometimes, hard to get out of the house for all the money mm-hmm. that's lying around, sacks of dollars. Um, but aside from that, you know, we already had swelled heads, so this was just another couple of uh, air pumps to our already. Giant swollen melons, and uh, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's weird because ninety uh, percent of the time you say, "Oh, we won a Canadian Comedy Award." The <laughs> next thing somebody says is, "Oh, is that something? <laughs> is that a thing that exists?" So nobody knows what it is, and it's nice. It's very nice to win it, and uh, it was a great time to go out there and do it. But you know, that's Canada, right? Like you don't. Nobody acknowledges that anybody is good at anything no one ever. Wants anyone else to succeed? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's. I think in Britain they have a slogan for it called. And I only just learned it like a month ago. Like it's called tall poppy syndrome. Yes. Have you ever heard that? Yes, I have. I had never heard that before, and I thought I was like, oh yeah, like that's kind of everybody in Canada is like, as long as you can succeed in the middle way. 
that's the most anyone should aspire to. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, the other poppies are in the shade of the tall poppy and resent the tall poppy or whatever. Absolutely. But, you know, Canada, that's, we're not, we're not like America. We're not about like a, you know, stellar achievement. Speaking of being handsome in a suit. Oh, you, go on. You were recently in a spread for Sad Mang yes. with Dave Shimka and uh, Charles Dimmers. Yes. And you were referred to, I don't remember the exact words because I don't like doing research, but it's, you know, heavy hitters, yep. big bosses, comedy mafioso, etc. <laughs> sure, yeah. So also featured in that issue was the Sunday service. So my question to you is F. Mary Kill, Dave Shimka, Charles Dimmers, or the Sunday service? Um, definitely. Dave Shunka, he's marriage material, mm -hmm. so that's the Mary for sure. I'm going to have to say F. Charles Demers, because mm -hmm. I imagine he's a very sensitive lover. Mm -hmm. And then I guess, I guess I'll have to kill the Sunday service. But you know what? It's, uh, it's only because there's like five of those guys, you know what I mean? Like it'll be a real feat. But I think that's really more than anything. I think that's the only reason. I mean, oh, but I mean, that's as good a reason to have them in the F category, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like a lot of effing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I e don't know. E this is a tough question. Economically, like, for your career, like, the more, I feel like the more Vancouver comedians you can just take out. Oh, yeah, sure. Right? Absolutely. How important is it for you to keep other comedians in Vancouver down? <laughs> yeah, hugely. It's crazy the links I'll go to. Uh, it's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Casino, but I will do anything to undercut the competition. No, but seriously, I mean, you are interested and in, in committed to creating a comic community yeah. in your own image. Like. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I never thought about it in my own image. So, so what, is that kind of, what, what, what does that community do for you in terms of being able to be a comedian? And uh, to be, be good at what you do? How's that community important? Uh, it's, it's probably the most important thing to have like a strong community around you because if you're, if you're just like the one funny person in a place that's no good mm -hmm. that's nothing you want to be you know just around people that are really funny and constantly making you feel like you have to uh kind of rise to the occasion and keep writing and performing and because you're around these people who are also that and yeah if you're in a in a place if you ever kind of feel you're in a place where you're like oh there's nobody else around that makes me laugh mm -hmm. then you gotta go you gotta go somewhere else so it's super important to be around, and I, I mean, that's in any field. You want to be around people who are good so that you feel like you're amongst some people who are really accelerating at that thing, you know? So it's really important. Now, uh, so we have another Laugh Gallery on January 13th. Yep. Here at the Havana. That's right. But before that, you're hosting a New Year's show. Yep. Tell us about that show. What is it going to be like? What are we looking forward to? What are we looking forward to? Uh, the New Year's show, you know what, it, it's like the perfect thing to do if you're a person who like doesn't want to just sit by yourself on New Year's, but also doesn't want to go to some club, right? Like it's the perfect middle ground. It's going out. It doesn't rage until four in the morning. It's just like a comedy show. Have a couple of drinks. It's really fun and easy and it doesn't cost a lot of money. And, uh... So it's like, to me, it's like the antidote to New Year's Eve, uh, because New Year's is a real pain in the ass, it seems like. What's your worst New Year's experience, do you think? The worst was a, a friend, a, a group of friends and I were heading downtown, this is when I lived in Calgary, and we got stranded on a train platform, 
and none of us had the same time. So we didn't know when New Year's was. At midnight, we were counting down, but all three of us had different times. So there was no, it was so pointless. I like, this is how pointless it is, is you have one to midnight, I have three after. You know what I mean? His says 11.50, it's meaningless. So it was the worst, and we were cold, and uh, yeah, it was terrible. But revealing. <laughs> so this will not be a pointless New Year's. Have a lineup? Uh, we're putting together the lineup right now, and uh, it'll be all people who are like regular laugh gallery people. That, because that's the thing too is once the comedy clubs are booked, there's a lot of really great comics that just aren't doing anything on New Year's. So it's it's nice to have a show where they just show up and do their thing. Christmas sweaters, yay or nay? Uh, nay. I'm not a fan. You know, I like a good sweater. I don't get like I don't get what's so hilarious about Christmas sweaters, but nay, it's Christmas sweaters and Christmas ties, nay, okay. nay to all. Thank you very much, Mr. Graham Clark, and all of the comedians that made me laugh, and even the ones that didn't. Just joking, they all did. Uh, <laughs> and one of the things I really enjoyed was actually I, I got to. I'm glad I got to ask Graham about it. Watching them with their pieces of paper and and even them commenting on what like oh that worked or that didn't. I just I love I love the process of arts in general and learn behind the scenes stuff. So to see it within the performance itself, yeah. it's pretty meta. Um, coming up on stop podcasting yourself is Alicia Tobin, Rory Scoville, picnic faces, Mark little and Kurt Braunholler of bunk and stand up and many other things. He's a, a beautiful, tall Scandinavian fellow. And anyway, those are amazing guests and, uh, you can check them out on maximumfun.org. You can find Graham Clark at grahamclark.com and um the event uh december 31st check it out on facebook all right so that is the show for us today um now uh i will be going to the cellulite social club tonight uh james what are you doing tonight oh funny you should ask i'm uh doing i volunteer for a friend bingo for life every week at celebrities it's a gay bingo hosted by drag queens it's too much fun and all the money goes to a friends for life society it's at 8 30 tonight That's excellent what I'm doing. where is it celebrities of Night Club. course i know i know um uh zoe our volunteer coordinator has done that a number of times yeah our our exiting volunteer coordinator uh, oh she's leaving mm-hmm. oh that's too bad. But she loves us all, and she'll still be back. And she also loves uh, the Bingo for Life. Oh. So, uh, CITR endorsement all around. <laughs> Just wanted to thank everyone who joined us on the show today. Graham Clark, Paul Armstrong, Sam Gold, James Connell, Matthew Grenland. Coming up next, we have UBC Arts On Air, Ira Nadal, uh, radio former radio superstar and UBC arts professor interviewing Shelley Rosenblum of the Belkin Gallery. And then after that, we will have Phil and Michael playing a bunch of stuff in his exact words. Thanks so much for joining us on The Arts Report. Have a great evening. country. You know, 
down here about 50 years ago on a 